Revelation 14. Tonight we're just going to look at a few verses, verse 6 and 7. And uh, I know a few weeks ago I, I, I thought that we'd finish a little early. And I said if we do, we'll, we'll have a, a Q&A time. Um, we might be able to do that tonight. I don't know. We'll see. I know we've been looking at a lot of... Um, a, a lot of revealing things in this revelation of Jesus Christ. And I know I get a lot of questions and so forth uh, before the study and after the study, which is awesome. It's the Lord just stirring our hearts and so forth. And so, you know, and in conjunction of what we looked at and with the book and so forth and the time we are, just the things going around us, you know, if we have time, we'll, we'll, we'll do that at the end here. And then I'll just do my best to... to you know, give a, give a good biblical answer. And if it's things I don't know about, I'll just say, I'm not sure. And I'll try to get back to you on that. So uh, we'll, we'll just see how we do here. Last week, we looked at verses one through five here in Revelation 14. And uh, what a refreshing passage after being there in chapter 13 for three or four weeks when we see in the middle of the tribulation, again, just a convergence of events that happened in that time. And really the world fully moving into uh, dragon worship, you know, Satan roaring, beast worship with the Antichrist, uh, another, another beast, the false prophet rising up uh, into prominence, really a, uh, a, a really global type takeover, though this Antichrist will still have thorns in his side, no doubt. We'll get into that later on, and we looked at a lot of that in the book of Daniel, but we know that it's around the time Satan gets kicked out of heaven and he comes down to the earth and he knows his time's short. Uh, the two witnesses, we know they've been slain, the world rejoiced, the Lord caught them up to heaven and so forth. 144,000, you know, at getting put forth and so forth. We'll come back to that in a second here. And again, the other beast or the false prophet, remember, making an image of the beast and breath being given to that image of the beast and we saw that word breath in revelation it's a word referring to demonic spirits so it seems to be an idol that can talk that's been possessed by a devil and we talked about the thought of perhaps artificial intelligence ai which is so huge today perhaps being under the control of the demonic and that perhaps being the image of the beast and remember we saw that any who did not worship that image, their life would be taken from them uh, in these days to come and the tribulation, the second half. This happens at the middle. It's pretty clear in scripture. And also the institution of the mark of the beast, 666, that one has to take the mark of the beast or the name of the beast to be able to buy or to sell. And um, again, we talked about a lot of things in that chapter. I think it was about four studies and uh, a lot of questions come up during that chapter, and, and I think that we were able to address and answer a lot of them. But boy, you look at that, and you, you know, you're taken back because we can see how those things could so easily unfold today. I mean, the going-ons in the world and where technology is, and you know, just things like the whole world being, being able to see those two witnesses dead in the streets. And the world rejoicing over that. We, we know how that could happen so easily today with technology and, you know, an institution of a mark that you have to buy or sell. And last week we even talked about some of the technology and things that are out there, how this thing could be 
implemented so quickly and even some of the conditioning going on in the world today. And you just look at all that and it's just, you know what, and, and I guess on one hand it's exciting because we know Jesus is coming soon all the more. And at the other hand, it's, it's grieving when you recognize that that's going to be a time here on earth when, you know, God's really giving the world over to a desire not to have God in their lives whatsoever as he pulls back his restraining hand and they're really given over to their humanism, which then leads into this dragon worship and so forth as God wraps things up in this dispensation. So that chapter is, again, it's grieving, it's, it's exciting in many ways, but I praise God there in Revelation 14 as we came to that last week, how it says, after all of that, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And praise God, you know, John's watching this unfold. He's, he's there, you know, it says he, he was at the sea, which is humanity. And remember, we talked about these beasts rising up out of humanity. This antichrist, as well as this false prophet, really humanity being in a place of rebellion where they can rise up and assume power, not only because the Lord's allowing them, but because the world's wanting that. He, he's really the product of their desire of a Christless culture and then God even using that to bring a judgment upon them and again a wrapping up of these things and praise God and ushering in of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ and you know that chapter's there and then John after writing these things seeing all this where's his eyes turn after that praise God I looked and behold a lamb and we just talked about that with all the ugliness in the world and a lot of things we're subjected to and Look, at even in the midst of prophecy, I know there's some folks, you begin to talk about these things, and it overwhelms them. They even, oh, they're talking about end time stuff, I'm tapping out of that Bible study, I can't be around that. And they get overwhelmed by it, or they get struck by fear. Maybe it's even, a, it's shining a light on, you, you, you love this world more than the idea of the Lord coming back. And look, at that's something we got to grapple with at times too, and be honest with God with. And if, you know, we were getting more like Lot's wife, you know, and in love with this earth and the pursuits of life and so forth, those got to get put in check. It's seek the kingdom of God first. These other things are added unto us. And you know what? Those that buy should not live as they possess. So we, we want to check our hearts with that and so forth. But praise God in the midst of all of it. And even in the midst of your trials tonight and tribulations and the stuff you're going through. Anyone going through stuff tonight? Anyone nod the heads? Quite a few. I saw one hand even go up back there. Yeah, I'm going through stuff Praise God, he looked and behold a lamb. And praise God, we look and we behold the lamb, the lamb of God. The lamb of God who, again, we're reading about this dragon slaying people, the lamb of God who is slayed for us, who laid down his life for us, who bore the wrath to us upon himself. That in that act, it's the demonstration of God's love for us. And he's loved, loved us with such an everlasting love. And I know we talked about this last week, but as, as we're just moving into where we are tonight, I just want to reiterate, keep looking to the Lamb. Keep looking to the Lord. Keep looking to Him at every turn, His goodness, His grace, His correction, His plan for you, our future and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did He not say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest? I mean, He has invited us to cast our cares on Him because He cares for us. I've been, you know, at wrestling with some stuff over the last week, and I was grappling with stuff. Uh, it was ju just last night, and God brought that verse to my mind and, and just kind of reminded me, you're always spouting off that verse. 
You need to take that verse to heart. You go, this stuff, cast it on me. And I said, Lord, you, you, you told me to do it, so Lord, I want to give it to you. I need your help. I need your aid. I'm looking to you. I want to I take you up on your offer. I want to give this to you. And it's just amazing how, again, the Lord meets us where we're at. So let's keep looking to the Lamb. Because, again, we read after that, it says, and I know this isn't in your notes, but there in verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1, standing on Mount Zion. And we talked about, again, we're just not looking to any old lamb or anything else, but God triumphant, God on Mount Zion. And we went to Psalm 2 where it talks about the nations and the rulers and the kings raging against God. And he says, but my holy one is on Mount Zion. And tonight our God is on heavenly Mount Zion, ruling and reigning on high. And soon he's literally going to come back and step foot on Mount Zion, another name for Israel. And again, he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, and it's going to be glorious. We saw as he looked and saw the Lamb on Mount Zion, we went back to those 144,000 servants we saw earlier in the book from 12 of the tribes of Israel. We saw that they were sealed by the Father. Remember, we saw they sang a new song. And we were reminded of that, that phrase that comes up at times in Scripture of singing a new song unto the Lord. And look, at if you're in the place where you're singing the same old song, and it seems like when you start singing the same old song over and over again, there's a temptation for it to lose its meaning. Not that there aren't things that, you know, we can sing over and over again and sing them with unction and zeal and so forth, but it's easy to kind of fall in that rut And know this tonight, our God is not a God of ruts. He's a God who will meet us in the ruts. He's a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he is a God that wants us to grow in our understanding and knowledge of him. And I know he wants to do that in the seasons of blessing on mountaintops. And he wants to do that even in the seasons of trials and tribulations in the valleys. And, you know, it's been cool. And I touched on this, I think, a little bit either last week or Sunday or recently, it becomes a blur or whatever. But someone told me it again this, this week, you know, a lot of people have been going through trials, have they not? <laughs> and I've had more than one pe- person tell me, man, I've gone through a trial, I've been going through a dark time, but I'll tell you, the Lord's met, met me where I was at. And several of these folks, just as they were talking, you know how you, see, you can see someone's countenance and, and you just see that brightness on their face? A few of these were, were over the phone and I could just, I can't even hardly describe it. I could hear it in their voice, this just kind of Shekinah glory of God just resting on them and knowing even a little bit of the difficulty they were going through. And they're just saying, I'm singing a new song because I see the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God. And we, we, we see that with these 144,000 in this chapter singing this new song. And then we went on to read that they're the first fruits of God to the Lamb. And I think that all goes in conjunction because let's remember this great tribulation that's coming. It it centers around, yes, the coming of the Lord, but as far as people groups, it centers around Israel. This is Daniel's 70th week. This is that last seven years preserved for Daniel and his people, the nation of Israel, to come to that place of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and God being faithful to his people. That's, That's why we keep reading about Israel in this book. That's why we're reading about Jerusalem. We're reading about Mount Zion. It's the, it's the reason why you know, we're reading about the Jews and, and these different tribes and so forth. And it's the reason why on these last days, God's reassembled 
Israel in that foreign land, despite her and despite her rebellion and despite her sin and her faithlessness, because God is faithful. And we see these 144,000s being the first fruit, again, of all Israel that's soon to be saved. And I'll tell you, we can rejoice because it's just another reminder of God's faithful promises that are true. Indeed, they are yes and amen. The promises of God to you are yes and amen. And I thank the Lord for that. His promises to me are yes and amen. So tonight here we come to verse 6. I want to look at just verse 6 and 7, but I want to read down to verse 11 because I'm going to refer a little bit up to verse 11 and obviously some other places as well. And at this point here, again, the mark of the beast has been instituted. The image of the beast is out there to be worshiped as this beast system is now in full effect. And we see in the midst of this three angels flying in the heavenlies. And we'll talk about where that is and so forth in a bit. And we see this first angel going forward, calling men to, pre- to repent and preaching the gospel. And, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I marvel at that in that at that point in time, the world, again, we're going to see, and we read of, of men crawling under rocks as they see God's wrath poured out and calling on those rocks to fall on them versus humbling their hearts and falling on the rock of Christ and repenting of their sin. So many will still refuse to do that. Again, these people are saying, who is like the beast? Who's able to wage war with them? They're in total rebellion against God and it will be unlike any other time in the history of the world. And there's been a lot of stinking rebellion in the history of the world, has there not? And you just see that mankind, you know, with a few exceptions, shaking their fist at God. And what does God do? You would think at that point, you know what? Pour, pour all, just end it right now. End it right now, God. And again, he, he, he's going to end it. He's going to come back. And as those nations gather, it says the blood's going to be as high as the horse's bridle. But God is a God who is just so gracious, so merciful He just extends beyond anything we deserve time to repent. And in the midst of all that going on, this angel goes forth in the heavens, calling for men to repent here on earth. What an awesome God. And I want to talk about that and just the heart behind that. And then, you know, we see an angel doing that then, but we're we're called to be doing that now, to be taking the gospel out, and especially in these days we're living in. So that's where we're going to go then there's going to be a few other angels, you know, one talking about the fall of Babylon, which we'll get more into in the weeks to come. And then another warning against that mark. So if you take that mark, you're going to be tormented forever and ever and ever with fire and brimstone and the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the lamb. And that's a picture of being tormented in the presence of the wrath of God forever and ever and ever. And look at God doesn't want anyone to go there. That's why even in the rebellion, he's sending that angel out to proclaim the gospel, to, to, to call men to repent. This is like a, there, there's even so many, even extra supernatural manifestations before men. God just pleading with people to repent. So with that, let's read this together. Verse six through 11 It's so powerful. It says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, heaven, 
having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And we'll look at that here, but notice verse eight. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she has made the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And next week we'll get into that and we'll see that, that there's definitely, there definitely seems to be a gap between these two angels. And again, it's another picture of God just being merciful in, in giving time for men to repent. And then verse nine, it says, then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast or his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So here's, again, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you know what, here's this false prophet saying, uh, if you don't worship the image of the beast, you're, you're going to be killed, we're going to kill you. And it says they have the power to kill those that don't worship that beast and, or that image, and then here's God sending this angel out. Yeah, but if you take that, if you take that, you might preserve your life here for a short time, but you're gonna lose your life forever and ever and ever. And it's not gonna be, you know, what ceasing to exist as some try to peddle today that lie that there is no hell. It's saying you're gonna be tormented forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And God does not want that. Again, in the midst of all of it, God wants to see people saved. He wants to see them walking in the call that he designed and he created us to walk in. And you know what that is? In fellowship with God. We were created to walk with God. We were created to worship God. We were created to dine with the Lord. That's why, again, early in Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, I'll come and dine with you and he with me. And, and, and you know, he invites us in that no matter where we're at. Now, obviously, to dine with them, there's got to be an honesty on our part. And we really want to sit down and dine with them because you can't eat from the, from the table of demons and of the Lord. But when we, as he's knocking, when we say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I'm a mess here, Lord. I'm, I, I, you know what? I'm a mess. The only thing that makes me even worthy to sit at a table with you is your shed blood and a garment of righteousness that's been given to me through your death and resurrection. Practically, Lord, I'm a mess. And yet he says, well, then let's dine together and let me minister to you. Let me pour into you. It's not so good, the God that we serve. He wants people saved. Again, he wants them delivered from that torment. He doesn't take a pleasure in that. And absolutely, what's the thing that saves us from that? As it says here, we'll come back to the angel here, but I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the ever, everlasting gospel to preach those who dwell on the earth. The everlasting gospel. So much just in that phrase. 
the everlasting gospel is the declaration that it's the same. It never changes. It's simple. It doesn't get added to or taken away from. And when you start talking about the gospel, there's a lot of confusion with, with a lot of people. You know what? I'll hear someone say, boy, we went, we went and fed those people. We were, you know what, living the gospel. I was like, well, wait a minute. Time out there. It's, it's good you were feeding those people. And that's a good thing to be doing, but that's not the gospel. Yeah, I've heard, you, you've, you've heard the phrase, you know what? Share the gospel, and if you need to, use words. That's nonsense, man. You got to open your mouth. You got to share the gospel. Now, listen, that's a great platform to share the gospel, is it not? Going and serving someone and meet them, meeting them at their need, but that's not the gospel. There's a lot of people who think church works the gospel. They think doing good things is the gospel. Hopefully, those things are the product of the gospel because we are saved unto good works, but in those good works, it's really... You know what, with non-believers, the aim is to be able to share the gospel with them, the everlasting gospel. And the gospel is real simple. The gospel is very precise. I think one of the best descriptions of the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. It's there in your notes. And it's Paul speaking to those in Corinth. And he says, moreover, brethren, notice, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. So he's saying, here's the gospel. This is it right here. He says, which you also received in which you stand. Notice here, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he says, here's the gospel. He's about to give it to him. But before he does, he says, you are saved through believing in this. And that is part of the gospel. Absolutely. But believing in what? And it's what we believe in. That's where the good news absolutely is and notice it all revolves around that lamb we just talked about who stands on mount zion victoriously verse 3 says for i deliver to you first of all that which i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures that is the gospel and when you put your faith in the lord when you put your faith in the act of the cross that Jesus died for my sins. My sin's the bad news. I fall short of God's glory. Again, the wages of my sin is death. It's the second death, it's hell. But Christ came, again, according to the scriptures, as was prophesied about him, even in Genesis, right after even the fall, that first proclamation of the gospel, when the Lord told the serpent, look it, there's gonna be enmity between you and this woman's seed, but this seed's gonna come, you're gonna bruise this hill, but he's going to crush your head. That's a proclamation that there is a savior that's gonna come and it's gonna put all this in order. And then we see prophecy after prophecy throughout the, you know, at the Old Testament talking about the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and absolutely the death of Christ. Look, at you go read Isaiah 53 and you, you think you're in the New Testament. And yet it was prophesied seven, eight hundred years earlier. This is how Christ is going to come and he's going to die for our sins. Remember, he's bruised for our iniquities. He went to the cross for us. You read Psalm 22 and it goes into phenomenal detail of what happened there upon the cross. Us being in sin, us being under condemnation. We've been talking about it so much in Sundays in Romans, how sin came through one man. 
And really, listen, as he sinned, we are all in Adam. We even sang a song tonight. Uh, what was the exact lyric? Redeemed by grace, Adam's race. Is that, is that right? And I love, I love as well in that, and we'll actually touch on it again in a second, Adam's race, there's only one race, the human race. <laughs> and let's get that straight. Uh, but redeemed by grace. Because listen, when Adam sinned, we were all in Adam. We really were. We were in him. We are in his, we were in his DNA, so to speak. And Adam's sin, we know we were born with the sin nature. And if anyone say, yeah, but you know what, that's them. All we gotta do is pull out the law of God. We're all a bunch of sinners here. And again, subjected to what we read there, that torment forever and ever because our rebellion, because God is holy and God absolutely should be feared and worshiped and honored. And Jesus Christ has to be acknowledged as Lord. But if we want to continue in our sin, look at God is going to honor that decision to be your own God, to be the God of worship, the God of your belly, to do as you will. But praise God, there is gospel, there is good news as it says here. And the good news is despite man's rebellion, Christ came according to the scriptures and he died for our sins. And there ain't any other news in the world that compares with this good news. And really, in my opinion, it's almost abominable to say, oh yeah, we went down there and fed some people. We were living out the gospel. If you ain't actually sharing the gospel, man, they need to hear the gospel because a granola bar and a food pair of socks ain't gonna save any souls. Now look at it, might give you the platform and we should be doing those things, amen? But we should be doing them with the aim of sharing the gospel and maybe you're even in the place where you're like, I'm paralyzed, I'm not to that point. Well, man, we gotta, we gotta, a whole bookcase out there of gospel tracks, at least at the minimum, say, here's a granola bar, and here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go and read it. Or sit there and read it to him. Again, the gospel, he died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And again, we know that we're justified in his resurrection, just as we have not sinned. We're a defeated sin, he defeated the wages of sin, that is death, where he fulfilled the law. Again, the righteous requirement of the law were nailed at the cross. We gotta, again, God's standards perfection and we perfectly fall short of it. We have not kept his law, but the Lord has kept it. And again, and on the cross, he took the wrath to us there. We deserve to be there. He laid down his life but because he was sinless, he rose from the grave. And in fulfilling the law, really, you could say he defeated the law. He defeated sin, death, Satan, hell. We'll talk more about that law aspect on Sunday. And now, again, as it says here, as you believe, you are saved if you hold fast that word which is preached to you. And listen, those that really believe, they're going to hold fast. And those who really believe there might be some times the bit get backslidden and get where we'll praise God. If you really believe, God will hold fast to you and he'll get your attention. I can bear witness to that multiple times in my 52 years here on earth. God is faithful. Can anyone say amen to that tonight? Indeed he is. And so this angel's going forth preaching the everlasting gospel. And this is it. This is simple. Sadly, and we talked a lot about this a few weeks ago, there's a lot of people running around peddling false gospels. We see this angel preaching this gospel. We'll come back to him in a minute. But it's interesting, Galatians 1.6, it talks about 
a different gospel. And it came to my mind because it talks about men or angels preaching a different gospel and what their fate will be. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And notice here, which is not another. It's a different gospel, but it's not another gospel. It's a false gospel. There's only one gospel. And that gospel, again, is Christ crucified, buried, and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And if you believe in him and hold fast to him, you will be saved. But he says, I marvel you're turning to a different gospel, and it's not another. And if you get into Galatians, the other gospel was Jesus plus your works. That's not good works, or that's not good news. That, that appeals to the pride of man. It's Jesus plus a little bit of me. And I'll tell you, if a little bit of me gets in the gospel, it's going to turn ugly real quick. I'll pollute those waters real quick. It's the shed blood of Christ that washes us as white as snow. He says, but there are some who trouble you, notice, and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's why it says the everlasting gospel. And yet you see a great effort to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ all around us. He says, but if we, Paul includes himself, those with him, if we, or notice, an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, notice here, let him be a curse. That word is anathema, which means let him be damned to hell. Let him be damned to hell. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than that which you have received, let him be a curse. He says it twice. Let him be damned to hell. Because there is no other gospel than the shed blood of Christ, his death and his resurrection. And even for a moment to say, but you know what? God's generous and all roads lead to God. That's another gospel. That's an offense to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's trampling the blood of Christ underfoot. And it's so important that we know these things and understand these things because I know we're living in a time where there's, there's polls out there of supposed evangelicals, which are supposed to be people believe in the Bible, and they'll be asked, is Jesus the only way to heaven? They're like, oh no, there's multiple ways. That's preaching another gospel. That's preaching another gospel as these other Jesus are preached and so forth, and we better be careful with that. We better be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ's death, Christ's resurrection, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That's the gospel that we preach, and those waters better not be polluted or muddied in any way. And if you've been polluting that or muddying that because you like the idea of some rebellious, you know what, Hindu or Muslim or New Ager or just good guy over here or cult member going to heaven, you need to repent of that. Because that's not even loving them. That's not going to save their souls. We got to get on our knees and pray for them, not convince ourselves that the gospel is more than what it is. We got to recognize we are sinners and humble our hearts and call upon the Lord, not create God in our own image and say, well, you know what? God's a lot broader than that. No, the Lord said broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are there that go in that way or through that gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. And it's not, it's not that it's narrow in the sense of, 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 of so much difficulty other than you having to die to yourself and humble your heart and say, Jesus, be my Lord. Because really, when you do that, praise God, it's easy. <laughs> but you got to get over that hump to humble your heart.
and to actually acknowledge God and say, I want to call out to him and get saved. I could go on all this all night, but we got some, I, I said we get through two verses. That clock's ticking. I don't know about any Q&A or whatever, but hopefully you're getting ministered to. You know what? God is good. Now, you see this angel proclaiming the gospel. And, and that's a glorious thing. But listen, you see a little bit of this in the scripture, but these angels are not those that have been commissioned to preach the gospel first and foremost. You know who that is? That's us. That's the church. We have the commission. This angel is doing in part the church's work. He's doing God's work, but we are the ones that have been commissioned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, you know what? As a fellowship, I've been here, the senior pastor, almost 25 years, youth pastor before that. We have had ups and downs. We've been here. We've been there. One thing, one thing that, that we've tried to do, I've tried to do through all of it is preach the gospel. In season and out of season, we got to preach the gospel. And hopefully by God's grace, we've, 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 we've done that somewhat. I think we can grow in that. Because listen, we've been commissioned to do that. We're here for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is to get equipped to go preach the gospel. Notice Mark 16, 15, he said to them, he's talking to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? We just read it. Believe in Christ crucified, raised from the dead. Call on him to be your Lord and he will save you. And then notice 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. And we've been talking about that on Sunday too. Being baptized into his death, coming forth, born again spiritually. We're a new creation. He says, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who is reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ. And notice, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Think about even this angel preaching the gospel, this angel has never himself been reconciled to God he's an angel that didn't fall he's an angel that again it's a different relationship that angels have with God but it's been a perfect sinless uh, a, a sinless relationship think about us though we were in sin we know the God you know, the, the Bible speaks in places of angels marveling at our relationship with God we're the ones that fell we're the ones that Christ died for we're the ones that have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. We know the gospel better than these angels because we have experienced the gospel and we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And I, I myself marvel, I don't know how, as, as especially, you know, if someone's a pastor, a minister, how they can be reconciled to Christ and how they cannot open their mouths continually and preach the gospel. How do they get away from that? Because once you get reconciled, again, we know. We know the power of God to save. We know the power of God to move in our lives, the work of the Spirit of God. We're the ones that have been given that ministry because we are the, per the partakers of it. And yet we see this angel doing this. Now, why is not the church doing this at this point? And look, at we've talked about the rapture of the church. Yes, there's tribulation saints, in this time, there's people coming to Christ. But you go to Revelation 20, it's not the church as we know the church now. We know we come back in chapter 19 on white horses. 
He comes back with 10,000s of his saints. And it's after that, John sees those beheaded for their faith in the tribulation. They don't even have resurrected bodies at that point. While we're judging the world at that point, we are the church. And so in that, again, we look for the Lord's return. We look every day. And maybe right now you're saying, well, that's not my eschatology. Well, your eschatology better be looking every day for the coming of Jesus Christ or your eschatology is not lined up with the word of God. We look for him. He knows when he's coming, but we better be looking. And absolutely, we see this angel doing the church's job and the conclusion is because the church is not there doing its job, the church is with the Lord doing its new job, worshiping God. We see again this angel flying through the heavenlies. And boy, what's this going to look like? This is curious. He's flying in the midst of heavens, which means midway. It's a picture of him between heaven and earth, between God's throne and earth, you know, heralding this, this proclamation of the gospel. We see some of the specifics here fear God, worship God, no doubt going along with repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. God wanting to get people's attention, God wanting to save people, and notice who he's preaching to, this everlasting gospel, those who dwell on earth. These that are here on earth, they are earth dwellers, earth dwellers who are lost. We're on this earth right now, but my citizenship is not on this earth. I have a temporary one. My citizenship is in heaven. Came to my mind a verse we look at, a lot philippians three seventeen, brethren join in following my example and note those who so walk who have us for a pattern for many walk of whom i told you often and now tell you even weeping they're enemies of the cross notice here it goes along with the reading their end is destruction their god's their belly their glory's their shame and then notice they set their mind on earthly things the earth dwellers they don't look up. They don't worship God. They follow their belly. They follow their five senses. They're like brute beasts. It talks about them in Second Peter and Jude. It's the idea of, I just follow my senses like a brute beast. It's like a dog that's there and you know what? You got a stake. It's, it's a curious thing. I've seen it before. A dog severely wounded you probably could poke his eye out with a stick, not condoning that or telling you to do that. A man that's cruel to his animals is a wicked man. But that dog could have his eye poked out with a stick, and if you're holding that stake up, he don't care about his poked out eye. He just wants that stake. It's seen in Sodom when all the men from all the quarters gather to want to violate those angels that those angels blind them, and instead of falling on their face and repenting, they spend the whole night trying to find that door to get those angels. That's serving the God of your belly. That's much of our culture today. That's where our culture, outside of those getting plucked out and getting saved, is heading more and more. Notice, they set their mind on earthly things. These are earth dwellers. More than that, though, their minds are set on earthly things. And I'll tell you, the gospel's the power of God unto salvation there's a power in the gospel 
God's designed it to penetrate earth dwellers and those whose mind are set on earthly things to snap them out of it and get their attention. Listen, that's why there's people that get enraged at times when you preach the gospel because <laughs> of the power of it. You're disrupting their aim of serving their belly and their five senses, their mind just set on these things. It almost is like the idea of causing them to look up for a minute. Praise God, there are some that get saved. This room is many who got saved. We were once, again, people with our mindset on earthly things. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that which snaps people out of it and gives them the opportunity to get saved. And it's the gospel of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. And let's not add to it, let's not take away from it. Notice verse 20 of that passage. For our citizenship is in heaven. So that's them. That's who the angels continue to preach to. But as for us, are you in Christ tonight? Can you say amen to that? Our citizenship is in heaven. For which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be eagerly waiting for the Savior. Again, I share it all the time. There's a crown in heaven if you just love his appearing. Well, that should be a simple crown to obtain. Look, it is, it's, not, it's not saying you have to have a death wish here on earth. It doesn't mean you have to kick rocks and be Joe Bummer at every get-together. We should have the joy of the Lord. We should be beaming with that. We have the Holy Spirit right now in relationship with God right now. But we should also be mature enough to look around and go, that stool's gonna burn, this is gonna burn, that's gonna burn, that keyboard's gonna burn. I came in the world with nothing, I'm leaving with nothing. The joy that I found in this life is Christ Jesus and God's coming in his perfect time. He's gonna set all this in order. Oh Lord, come soon, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. We eagerly wait. Again, the Lord, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice, you're like, well, I'm not too sure. Notice verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body? I think that's pretty awesome, don't you? You're like, well, I'm not sure. You're younger in the room. Give it a little bit of time and <laughs> give it a little time. According to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And again, this gospel that that angel is preaching at that point, we're called to preach now. Ephesians 4, I'm not gonna read it. Verse 12, though it talks about pastors and teachers, they're there for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And a big part of that ministry is preaching the gospel. We read there in Mark, go to all the world. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We're called to be about doing this. Look at it. It's, 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 we have all the reason in the world to be doing this now, to be about the business of God. I won't read it all, but 2 Peter 3, it, it's a great chapter about the Lord tearing in his coming, and it talks about scoffers, and it talks about them walking according to their own lusts and mocking, you know, where's your God, and so forth. And in verse eight of that chapter, it says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a one day, and then he says, God's not slack concerning his promise of some cow slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us. Thank you, Lord. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, we're, in a, we, we're reading about this angel at that time preaching the gospel. Oh, wow, look at that. We marvel at that. We should be doing that right now. All of us, we're called to this. 
God doesn't want any to perish. He's not willing. And if he's not willing, then who's exercising their will not to be saved? It's men that are just earth dwellers. They're just caught up in their five stinking senses who need to get shook up a bit with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to give them the hope of the Lord in hopes that their will would change and they'd put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would come to repentance. Interesting in Matthew 24, we looked at it about a year ago, the Olivet Discourse, and the Lord's talking about the lead up to the tribulation. And in verse 14, he says, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and the end will come. This should be a time like any other that we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, Muslims believe they'll usher in the end of the age and bring forth their Messiah, who's no Messiah, through chaos in the world. There's a big part of Islam that believes that. That's why you're like, why do these guys so want to blow stuff up and do these things? They think they are going to usher in their Messiah. It's because Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and it's a satanic religion, no doubt about it. If tonight you're going, man, I want the Lord to come. How can I help usher that in? Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be about the business of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read this last week, but Romans eleven twenty five, talking about Israel. And we talked on it tonight, all Israel being saved. He says in Romans eleven twenty five, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Again, all of the tribulation is about Israel. Not just the second half of it, all of it centers around Israel. That's why Jesus, in talking about these things, he says, you need to know the book of Daniel. Daniel, the Israel's given 490 years, 483 was fulfilled, there's seven at the end. There's a time of the Gentiles that's gonna be fulfilled and many believe this is referring to that last person getting saved and God's saying, we're up, now I'm gonna deal with Israel. The time of the church is done though. There will be tribulation saints. Again, we see them after the literal second coming of Christ being resurrected. But as for us, God's called us to be preaching this gospel. And that's why maybe you grow up or sometime you heard, well, maybe if that person gets saved, the Lord might come back. You're like, where are you getting that theology? Right here. That's where that theology is found. That's where that idea is found. And so in doing this now, again, we know that angels going forth with power with a loud voice, we need power to do this. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you're like, man, I feel intimidated. I feel overwhelmed. Then listen, you need to get baptized with the Holy Ghost. Jesus, after his resurrection, what did he tell the disciples to do? He didn't say, oh, get out there and start passing out tracts. He said, go wait upon high for the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, notice, and to the ends of the earth. This call to take the gospel out now needs to be brought out in power and that comes through the Holy Spirit of God empowering us. We've talked much about this before. It's what we should talk about it much in the future. Like, how do I get that power? Number one, obviously, you gotta be born again. And then as a believer, you ask. He talks about asking for power from upon high. They're tearing why they're asking. And then we're in a place where, again, we wanna walk in that power. 
We've been talking, I just think about what we've been talking about on Sunday. Present yourself to God. Present yourself to God. Abide in the Lord. Abide in the Lord and watch God manifest fruits of the Spirit in your life. Watch, watch God give you some unction. Watch God give you some strength. Versus just grieving the Spirit of God because we just present ourselves to nonsense all day. Remember that illustration? Your life's a sponge. If you're going to sponge up sewage, you know what's going to come out of you? Sewage. You sponge up the things of God, you know what's going to come out? The power of God. Fruits of the Holy Spirit. And some people don't like that. They're like, just give me the shortcut prayer. No, it's us getting before our God. And I'll tell you, in that, you won't get cheated. You'll get blessed spending time with the Lord. And also in this, again, we need the Lord's burden. Here is this whole world in such a rebellious state at this point in the tribulation, and yet God still has a burden to get them saved. And he says, unleash these angels to call out for these people to repent. I think of the Lord looking at the sheep scattered, and it says he has compassion on them. He sees them weary and scattered. They're like sheep having no shepherd. They're in Matthew 9. Lord, give us that burden. I encourage you, look at, we need to ask the Lord, give me empathy, God, Give me compassion. Give me mercy. Give me an eternal perspective that even this individual or these group of people that are so antichrist spewing these things, they just so tick me off and the things they're spewing should tick you off. They should anger you. But God, I gotta respond with the love of God. I want that to anger me, not to getting in the flesh because the wrath of man won't produce the righteousness of God, but getting on my face and praying and all the more going, look at I want to combat this with the gospel of Jesus. I want to share God with you because you might be ranting and raving here and not want God and just want to serve your five senses, but your life here is just a hand breath and then you're going to be plummeted into an eternal hell forever and I need to preach the gospel and be praying for you that your eyes would be open up to truth. This angel takes it out to every tribe, nation, tongue, and people. No partiality with God. It's glorious. That scene we looked at earlier in Revelation 5, where in heaven, every tribe, nation, tongue, and peoples is represented. Aren't you glad God's not into cookie cutters? It's going to be a full-on variety pack in heaven. All one race, make no mistake about it. No racism in heaven. Look at racism's a made up thing in part on earth. There's only one race, the human race. Now we know prejudice. We know there's a lot of that. We need to die to that if that's in our heart because that's not of God in any way, shape, or form. God wants to see all men, all peoples born again and saved. And he said, take the gospel out to all of them. All of them. No partiality with God. Thank you, Lord. Verse seven saying with a loud voice, and let us hear tonight, Lord, the loud voice of scripture. Fear God, give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, the springs of water. Like if they get saved, there has to be a fear of God. There has to be. There's this idea of, hey, try Jesus for a week and see what happens, fella. That, that's, that's the gospel today for a lot of you. Just, just, you know, give it a whirl like a test drive. I'm, I'll test you, God. I'm going to test drive you around the street. Did you get saved when a fear of God comes on you and you recognize I'm a stinking sinner. I deserve hell. God is holy. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. 
We know we want to grow in the fear of God as believers. I just get a little smidget of verses for you there in the scripture about fearing God. The blessings of fearing God is the beginning of knowledge. You want to do less stupid stuff? Fear God. Fear of God is, again, believing God. It's like a child that knows their parents love them, but they have reverence for their parent because the parents said, you do that one more time, you're going you're, you're gonna to get licking. Is I'm, I'm allowed to say that? You're going to get a timeout, buddy. You know, it's a fear of like, I, no. That fear of God, you know, there's a consequence. You know, when those, con- we talk about the woodshed, oh, the woodshed, look at that's God wanting you to fear him, to reverence him, not to hurt you, but to bless you. Verse 18 of, or, or 813 of Proverbs, fear, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, the evil way, and the perverse mouth. I hate, God hates those things. And when he's saying fear God, turn, he's, he's calling him to change, turn from those things. The fear of God knows, look at, we're, drawn to those things but nothing good comes out of them so many other scriptures there but i want to i want to finish this that's a study you guys can do maybe we'll touch back on that next week he calls them to fear god which again is repentance and give glory to him which is repentance and i think about the thief of the cross because these things are brought together luke 23 40 remember there's two thieves each side of jesus and they're hurling insults at him as well but then one of them has his eyes open up. The ones, the ones hurling things at Jesus and the other thief rebukes him and he said, don't you even fear God? Don't you fear God seeing we're under the same condemnation and indeed justly we receive the due reward of our deeds. And this is, this is giving glory to God and this is fearing God. He said, I'm, I'm getting what I deserve but this man has done nothing wrong. Do you realize he's glorifying God there? God is sinless. He's done nothing wrong. And then he, he glorifies God again. And then he said to Jesus, Lord. That's glorifying God. You are Lord. You have done nothing wrong. I am a sinner. I deserve to be here. And then he just cries out. A, 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 a really, a, you could say a sinner's prayer. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But look at the heart behind it. I'm a sinner, you are not. Lord, remember me. Remember me, I give glory to you. And praise God, how can you not rejoice in this answer? Jesus said to him, surely I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. This angel says the hour of judgment has come. He's saying, this is all coming to an end. You're being judged right now. A lot can happen in an hour. Sometimes biblically, an hour is a literal hour. Sometimes it's a period of time. This is a period of time. Judgment is happening and judgment is coming. And I'll tell you, judgment can come on us at any hour and we need to know that. And then he cries out to them to worship him who made the heavens, the earth, sea, springs of water. I don't got time to go to Romans 1 tonight. We've looked at it many times. And it's a picture, really, of fallen man moving from God, the creator, to worship in the creation. And that's just growing and increasing continually. And I'll tell you, in that time, it's just going to be running amok. 
And it's a cry out, quit worshiping this stuff made. Worship the one who made this stuff. Doesn't that sound much better? And then something that really stood out to me, he made heaven, earth, the sea, and springs of water. Because we know at this point, many of the springs of water have dried up. Many of them have been affected by wormwood. They've been polluted. Many of them have turned to blood. And there's just a limited amount of springs of water on earth at that time. And you know, every time one of these earth dwellers happens upon one of those springs of water, it's a reminder of God's grace and God's love, even in the midst of their rebellion. And so it's even appealing to them, God's grace, God's mercy. God made all this, and even as you're being judged, there's still springs of water out there, and that's God providing for you, because even in all of your rebellion, he loves you. And isn't this what Jesus told us in Matthew five forty three? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. For you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and notice and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Heavenly Father, we bless you, we praise you. We thank you for this time, God. Lord, I just thank you so much for the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, you're so good, Lord. I pray that tonight as believers in the Lord, that we would afresh rejoice in the work of the cross. Lord, I pray if we have hardened our hearts, God, or are hearing our heart, our eyes are seeing have become dulled, God, to the gospel, that you would refresh us tonight, God. And oh, Lord God, if we have dared broaden that gospel and have introduced something that's actually not the gospel, that we would repent of that, God. I know there's so much pressure today to do so. And yet, God, I pray that we would understand and know it is only through you and what you've done that any man can be saved. Let us not be found trampling your blood underfoot, yet instead proclaiming the good news of Jesus to a world that you desperately, desperately love, that you were willing to go to the cross to take the wrath to us upon yourself. Stir our hearts in that area. Can we say amen to that tonight? Give us a fresh Godzill to do the work of an evangelist. Give us, God, a heart to pray for the lost. God, give us a fresh empathy tonight, an eternal perspective. Even these people, God, we, we see on, you know, screens around us raging against God. The Lord, much of what they say upsets us, and it should. Oh, Lord God, I pray our hearts would be stirred to even pray for their salvation. And for those, God, following the rhetoric and their nonsense, God, and all this stuff that you are gonna hold all of them account to, Lord, that we would understand and know I am just a sinner like thee and I am only saved by the grace of God. Lord, open their eyes to who you are. If you're here tonight, you don't know the Lord. You've heard the gospel. Call on his name. Come to the Lord and he will meet you where you're at. He'll bring times of refreshing. He absolutely will. Lord, bless the rest of our night, our fellowship here. We just pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, and we said together, amen. God bless you.